and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a mom, a teacher, a writer, a blogger, now a podcaster as well, and you are listening to episode six of my brand new podcast. Today on the show, I'm going to be sharing a techie way to declutter your paperwork and your kids' paperwork. I'm also going to talk about a parenting strategy called Don't Interview for Pain. And my special guest on the show today is Jessica Holmes. She is a comedian, actress. She's a writer as well. She wrote a book called Depression, the Comedy, and she's a great mental health advocate. We're going to have a chat a little bit later on in the show. You don't want to miss that. Today's episode of This Mom Loves is sponsored by One A Day Women's Gummies, a multivitamin formulated to help support good health, including your immune function, bone and teeth development, and more, all in a tasty fruit-flavored gummy. Always read and follow the label. So my first favorite thing today is using tech to help declutter paperwork. So I know we all collect all sorts of paperwork, but especially kids stuff that comes home. So the artwork, the tests, the the projects, all of those sorts of things, even bigger stuff that's not paperwork like dioramas and all of that that kids want to keep, souvenirs, um, pamphlets, brochures, all of that kind of stuff. And we don't necessarily need to keep that forever. And I noticed that my girls' souvenir bins were overflowing. We have a spot under the stairs in our basement where they keep um, Rubbermaid totes with things like that. And Eva's one had turned into two and Olivia was already on number three. And I thought, okay, we've got to do something about this. So I used the same strategy that I used when I wanted to declutter my professional portfolio. When we were in teacher's college, we were given a binder and we were supposed to put all sorts of things in like lesson plans and thank you notes and teaching artifacts, all of that stuff, which was great, you know, to prepare for an interview 18 years ago, but I wouldn't need much of that again. But over the last 18 years, anytime I got something and thought, oh, I might need that for a future educational resume or portfolio someday, I would just kind of stuff it inside the cover of the binder to the point that it was kind of sitting up at a 45 degree angle, the front cover, because it was just shuffle of stuff. So what I did one holiday time is I went through... First First of all, I purged everything that I wouldn't need because honestly, my teacher's college lesson plans, no, nobody ever needs to see those again. But the stuff that I wanted to keep from the last 18 years of teaching, I actually took photos of on my phone and then I uploaded them into Google Drive. So that's what I used for storage. And I'm sure whatever system you use, there's some kind of cloud storage that will work for you, but Google Drive works really well for me. And I just made a folder called Kate's Professional Portfolio, and I uploaded it all there. And then I ended up getting the girls to do the same things. They went through their bins. They got to go through them first, basically a keep pile, like we absolutely have to keep this artifact. I take a picture of it for Google Drive pile, and then a garbage or recycling pile. And so once they were done that, first I checked the garbage and recycling pile, made sure there wasn't anything I thought that they should keep, but really there truly wasn't because I'm more likely than anybody in my household to want to get rid of stuff. So that stuff all went. And then I also checked their take a picture only pile to make sure that there wasn't something I thought they really needed to keep a hard copy of. Again, not very likely. And so then what they did was themselves used the iPad and took a picture of each item, like each page of the story that they wrote. There were things like brochures from concerts they were in, the merit awards they've received from school over the years. As lovely as they are, you do get one every year. And while they're special at the moment, the piece of paper probably doesn't need to stay with you forever. All sorts of things like that. So in even like I mentioned, the dioramas, they'd take a picture of something really bulky and chunky, and then we would get rid of it. I think it's important to have the key 
kid do the photographing themselves, unless of course they're very young and they're not able to do it, because I think it helped them whittle down more when they realized, oh, we have to take all these pictures ourselves. Because if they thought, oh, mom's going to take all these pictures and do it for us, I think they would have kept a lot more. So they did it. They upload, no, sorry, I showed them how to upload it. And then it was all uploaded into Google Drive. So there's a folder, Olivia's Souvenirs and a folder, Eva's Souvenirs. I can share that with my husband. They've got their own accounts I could share with them as well if I wanted to, so that they could, that they could have it too. And it's just a great way to, to declutter things and not have so much stuff. So now they're down to under a bin each, which is great. Now I will tell you that I'm an efficient person. I'm organized, but efficiency is important for me. So I have not taken either for my professional portfolio or for the girls' souvenirs. I haven't taken those photos and cropped them and rotated them and put them into subfolders, you know, based on sports or drama or whatever, because there has been no need yet. Someday when they're bored on a rainy day, they may want to organize their own folders. And same with me with my stuff. If I need a resume or a portfolio for something, it will be certain items that I'm going to want and I'll be curating as I go. So I didn't think that it was time effective to go through and perfect every single little um, picture that I took when I didn't know if it would ever be accessed again. But it was a super way to do stuff. And even now, every time they bring something home, now that we're in this system, I'll say, okay, do you want to keep this? Or is this something just to put in Google Drive, like a piece of artwork or whatever? And most often now, they'll just say, Google Drive, that's fine, which is is great. And I do the same thing too. I just got a thank you card from someone last week and it was sweet and I want to keep the sentiment. I don't need to keep the piece of paper. So I just took the picture and I uploaded it, which worked very well. Now I want to let you know how you can find me. I am on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves, on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves, and my website is www.thismomloves.ca. Um, if you want to find show notes for this episode, you can go to the website, click on podcast, and this is episode six. So there'll be links to everything in case you need it. I also love when people reach out to me on social media. If I get a tweet or a Facebook message saying, oh, just listening to your episode right now about Google Drive, that's a great idea. Or, oh, I have an even better idea. I tried this. I would love to hear from you and know, uh, and know what you used or how you're reacting to the things we're talking about here. In the lifestyle section today, I'm going to talk about a concept called don't interview for pain. And I'm totally stealing this from uh, one of Gretchen Rubin's podcasts, her podcast Happier, which she does with her sister Elizabeth Kraft. I love it. And she actually talked about this, but it's from a book co-written by Michael Thompson called Best Friends, Worst Enemies, Understand the Social Lives of Children. And the point of don't interview for pain, and it applies to adults as well, is try not to ask questions, bring up topics that are always negative. So for example, if you see someone, is the first thing you say to them like, oh, so is your ex-husband still giving you a hard time? Or, oh, is your boss still favoring that other person at work? Because over time, what it does to that person is makes them fit into the role of the victim. And it also makes it look like the, what you care about or what you want to give attention to is the negative stuff, which, which can just be a downer for everybody. But I actually want to focus more specifically from the perspective of a teacher to make sure that parents aren't accidentally reinforcing these things at home. Because of course, when your child comes home with a negative story... I'm a parent too, I totally get it. We tend to react maybe even more than we do to a positive story. If someone didn't let your child play, someone hit your child, it seems like the teacher said something mean, some sort of story that came up in the day. And then the danger is then the next day, the first thing you ask them when someone gets in the door, you do, or they get off the bus is, did 
Bobby hit you again today? Did Susie let you play? Did the teacher say anything mean? And the more you do this, the more it reinforces for them, ooh, mom is interested in this topic or dad's really into this. And sometimes if something seems dramatic enough, you may even call your spouse into the room or they'll hear you talking about it in hushed tones and they realize that it's a great way to get your attention. Bedtime especially, they know what stories are going to keep your attention and keep you there a little bit longer when they don't actually want to go to bed. Now, of course, you want your child to feel like they can talk to you about anything. What I suggest is a really good way to do it is opening up topics with things like, so what was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day? Or, you know, with a rose and the thorn or any way that you want to word it at your dinner table or after school. Because if, yes, they did cry at school or yes, Bobby did hit them and something was impactful enough for them to still remember at the end of the day, that's probably going to be the negative thing that they bring up to you. And it's important for you to also react to the positive things like, wow. And even repeat it to your spouse. Like, oh, honey, did you hear that? The teacher was complimenting our daughter's artwork today. That's awesome. And so that they know that you're proud of the good things and you're as interested and attentive and excited about them. I know, for example, I had a situation that once happened where um, I know one boy had pushed another boy for sure, and maybe more than once. But then one day the boy went home from school and told his mom, yeah, Bobby pushed me again today. And so I got a note from the parent and I had to tell her, well, no, he didn't because Bobby actually wasn't at school that day. And I'm not sure if that parent in particular was interviewing for pain, but I do know parents have told me, well, I asked her when she got home today, did Susie let her play? But maybe if you hadn't asked her, it wouldn't really matter to her and it wouldn't have been a big enough deal that she wanted to tell you. And sometimes, no, Susie didn't let her play, but also your daughter didn't let Susie play at the next recess. But that's not the part she's going to focus on in her story. So you definitely always want your kids to feel, and I do too, that they can tell us anything. But I'm trying to be careful of that even myself. If one of my children comes home with a story, it, it usually tends to either be about a peer or about a teacher. And they want to vent, and that's fine. But it's not the kind of thing that I want to give too much attention to to make them think that that's, uh, that's how they get me to sit longer. Or that's how they get me to get all excited is because of something negative. So I don't want them to see themselves as victims. And I also want them to be able to dwell on more positive things when they can. So they'll know that I'll always listen to them, but I try to prompt for the positive as often as I can. And now it is time for a quick word from our sponsor, One A Day Women's Gummies. I can honestly say that I take one a day every day. And while I still try to get in some fruits and vegetables, this multivitamin gives me some peace of mind. It has ingredients to help maintain immune and muscle function, eyesight, and metabolism support. The chewable gummy format is particularly great if you have difficulty swallowing vitamins and comes in tasty mixed fruit flavors. You can buy one-a-day women's gummies wherever vitamins are sold. Always use as directed. I'm so excited to introduce my very special guest today, Jessica Holmes. She is a comedian, a writer, an actress. She's a mental health advocate, author of the book, Depression, the Comedy, and she's a mom of two as well. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. And I love being described as very special. <laughs> you are. You're so special. Hooray, and you know you what? Too. I'm I'm going, thank you. I'm going to just dive right into your book. So no preamble or anything and talk about um, the, the struggle with depression that you shared. So first question is, you say in the book that you would make a terrible detective because you didn't even realize that you were actually depressed. So what were some of the signs you were showing and how did you finally figure out that that was the issue? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, anger was the biggest one and uh, having just pulled away from, uh, so many different parts of my 
career. And I kept blaming it on being like, I'm, I'm shocked and slightly embarrassed (laughs) in retrospect that it would have taken me so long to figure it out. But at the time I kept saying, Oh, this is just what it's like to be an artist. This is how artists must feel. And, um, it wasn't until after I got the diagnosis that I was like, Oh, that's what the two years of anger was about. That's what the six months on the sofa was about. Okay. Now, now it makes total sense. And when Oprah was coming to Toronto, so this kind of relates to your time on the sofa, um, you were asked to MC and you had kind of an understated reaction. Most people would have been really enthusiastic, but tell me about uh, when you got that call. Well, yeah. So Oprah has been on my vision board for, let's say 15 years. She just is the be all end all for me. They're sort of like God and then Oprah and then uh, (laughs) the rest of us mere mortals. And when I got this call to say, would I MC for her? Um, my reaction should have been huge. And instead I felt like, oh, oh, that's neat. And I feel like neat is how you'd feel about a 40% off promo code for the gap. It's definitely (laughs) not the type of reaction I should have had for this. But um, I think at the time I was so discouraged. um, And my, my therapist later explained that a depressed mind is like a sieve that only lets the negatives through and your mind just isn't processing the positive. So even though on paper, I had, I had a great life and I had so much support. I just wasn't feeling it. I felt like I was watching a TV show about my life. I didn't feel like I was actually, um, experiencing that love or that, um, those opportunities. And on some level, I was so discouraged. I thought, Oh, this is going to be canceled. I won't even tell anyone about it. And I didn't, um, I told my Mm -hmm. husband about it. Um, But uh, until the day of the show, until it was actually happening, I didn't uh, tell anyone else. And uh, so finally it did happen. And again, I should have loved it and and quite frankly ran and piggybacked myself onto Oprah and clung for dear life (laughs) like a little monkey and been like, I love you. And instead I just was like, oh, there she is. She doesn't have time for me. Like it was, oh, it was (laughs) such a pity party. Um, and only when I recovered could I see it for what it was. And now I understand it. And oh my gosh, honestly, that lady better run for the hills. Because if I ever saw her again, I'd truly be like one of those monkey she <laughs> armed monkey stuff. Make toys. up for last time. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a quote in your book. I'm going to read to you a couple of quotes in this interview because there are a couple that I really love. So the first one is this. So you wrote... I can't handle this had become my mantra, even though we actually had a delightful nanny who helped with cooking and cleaning. So my rantings were inaccurate on top of hysterical. And perhaps that's why I avoided opening up to my friends. They tried to be supportive, but they were also confused because I shouldn't be unwell. They had tangible problems, a break off, a layoff, a kid who bites. My problems were invisible and or unrelatable. So I love that. And do you think that that's a common reaction when people hear about depression that they kind of think, well, like your life's so great and they don't quite understand what's going on? Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because then on top of the symptoms of depression, which are already so difficult to deal with, you also feel the shame of knowing people don't think you ought to feel like you're feeling. And maybe you don't feel really believed and you certainly don't feel validated. And uh, so it's just putting one extra layer of um, guilt and blame on yourself that you don't need. And I, I I talk to people a lot because part of what I do now is 
when I get on stage, I try and mention mental health, even if, even if someone's just like, come and be funny for the night, I'm like, terrific. And I'm going to mention this other thing. <laughs> but I just feel like it's my, it's my civic duty to at least give it a couple of sentences while I'm on stage. And so then I always uh, have a chance to talk to people after and, and they share their experiences with me. And a lot of people will say, my spouse is going through something or um, my, my parents or my child are going through something. And what I usually advise is I'm not at all an expert, but I know when I was in my situation, I had so much you should on my shoulders already that I, I didn't want for anyone else to tell me what I should do. I didn't want advice. I just wanted companionship, quiet companionship and, and validation. So if you could say to someone the same thing, you'd say if they had a physical illness and you would just say, I'm so sorry you're going through that. That must be really hard. Um, well, I'm, I'm here for you and that's it. That's sort of all that you need or want because the the fixing is between you and a psychiatrist and time. <laughs> um, but uh, if if other people can just love you through it, that's terrific. Well, and you said too that you were happy once you had a diagnosis, but that then when you shared it, people often had some oversimplified advice. So what were some of the things people suggested that you should just do to get over your depression? I think the eye roll was my least favorite, which kind of the eye roll <laughs> that sort of implied like, oh, the artsy fartsy girl is making up terms again or something. Um, yeah. And then it, the the simplification of it, which is you just need fresh air or, um, but I think the, the most common one was just people not understanding it and saying, well, how could you be depressed? And so I felt sort of not believed, um, which made me stronger in the end because I realized my recovery is on my shoulders and, um, it, it was up to me to, um, do everything I could because I love myself, not because other people believed me or were rooting for me. So in the end, I'm stronger for it. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it certainly would have been easier and, and more pleasant at the time if people could have just said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I hear you. That must be tough. Well, I know when I was reading that on a much, much smaller scale and a physical health level, I was thinking about having morning sickness, being pregnant, mm. and I had it so terribly and I ended up taking medication. And I remember one mom saying to me, well, I just took soda crackers when I got up in the morning. Like, why don't you just do that? Yeah. And I just remember thinking to myself, okay, do you think I haven't tried that? <laughs> I know, but it doesn't work for me. So obviously your morning sickness is not like my morning sickness. Right. So just be quiet. Well, it's, it's like someone with... It's like someone with two healthy legs saying to someone with a broken leg, well, why don't you just walk on it? I walk on my legs and they work fine. You're just maybe <laughs> haven't walked on yeah. them. It's, it's, um, and I, I've never quite understood that segment of the parenting population where there's a sense that they need to busy themselves with how other parents are handling their stuff. And, uh, I certainly mm -hmm. think that contributed to the postpartum depression that I had was feeling like, um, someone who was very close to me and, uh, sort of a mentor to me, um, just started saying like, you know, I don't get why it's so hard for you when it's so easy for me. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know either. I guess I'm <laughs> super bad at it. I don't know. Um, but it does, people don't realize you're 
your words can go a long way either to making someone feel great or to making someone feel bad. And like I said, I take responsibility now for not letting other people determine how I'm going to feel about something. And likewise, I hope people forgive me the many times per day that I put my foot in my mouth. Oh, for sure. It's just compassion all the way around, understanding for sure. Um, so I really think that you're very brave the way you open up about things. And I mean, not just the depression, which is huge to, you know, get rid of some of that stigma and talk about it, the whole mental health piece, but even just your little embarrassing moments. Like I love the one where you showed up at a Tim Hortons event with your Starbucks cup. So have you ever shared anything like any of your embarrassing stories or even about depression, anything where you've regretted it after and thought, I wish I hadn't told that story. I wish I didn't put that out there. Or are you just good letting it all out? Oh, gosh, I, I've tried not to listen to any of my interviews about the book, because I feel like the, the part of the reason for me writing the book was um, depression is a very touchy subject. And I wanted to make sure that I could communicate about it in a very lighthearted way, but that I could proofread it 20 times to make sure that I wasn't accidentally slipping from lighthearted to disrespectful or um, anything. So uh, the book was the perfect venue to do that. And then when I do these interviews, I'm, I'm a little nervous to listen back and say, oh, did I, was I sounding flippant about people's recovery? Was I, so I do, I do worry a little bit about that, but I think I, normally I'm not a person who, if it's just me who's at the brunt of the embarrassment, I don't mind one bit. I, I just always want to make sure I'm being responsible mm -hmm. for, for other people's well-being. But embarrassing myself, no big deal. <laughs> um, I can totally relate to another passage in your book. So you talk about being an introvert. So I'm probably going to drive you crazy reading your words to you again. But I love this part where you say... <laughs> So I can't sound like you, but one of my favorite things to do is have half a dozen friends over and not talk to them. <laughs> just eavesdrop on all their conversations while I cook dinner. Everyone saunters over to ask, can I help? And I say, no, thanks. Just keep chatting with each other. Like someone who doesn't want their favorite TV show interrupted. And I feel like that's totally me. Like I like having friends around and everything, <laughs> but I just like to putter around and listen to it all and not really have to say too much. So I can totally relate to that. Um, Throughout your life, being an introvert, have you ever worried about how people see you? Sometimes I worry, do I come across that I'm cold or I'm aloof? And really, I know that's not who I am. But sometimes I think, oh, if I'm not talking enough or I don't seem bubbly enough, they might think that. Has that ever been a worry of yours? Well, it it became a worry of mine when uh, one of my neighbors said, don't worry, I just told the other neighbors that you're really, really busy. And I was like, oh, sorry, what? And I guess apparently the... <laughs> People who live immediately around me uh, find me a bit standoffish or a, a little snooty, and I don't, I don't mean to give off that air. I just genuinely, it's as though I only have so many words in me per day, and I use most of them up in my work and in my parenting. And so then, if I have a little energy left over, I'll be like, "Oh, I'll call my parents," or oh, "I'll call my friends today" and stuff. So, kind of, I, I guess. I, I think it's too bad if people w feel like I don't like them. I'm just uh, tired all the time. <laughs> I'm just too tired to make new <laughs> friends. Too tired for small talk. But um, fair enough. But but I do. I think that's why I love to communicate in other ways. I love writing a book. I love being on stage and talking to people because that's the kind of communication that fills me up and makes me feel energetic. And, uh, I'm just, I just get really mm -hmm. shy and self-conscious making small talk in a small group. So it, it does drain me quite a bit that way. And so even this weekend I had, 
I think we had 18 people over and uh, <laughs> it was the same thing of, Hey, can I help? Can I help? No, no. You just go sit back there. I'm, I'm loving your conversation. Just totally enjoying listening to it. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep the drinks coming and you guys yeah. just keep talking. <laughs> so I, I think that's neat that you're the same way. That's um, that's it's cool. I think probably there's a lot of people who are more on the, um, entertainment end of things that, that do have that feeling that are sort of, that find it easier to, uh, share and communicate in, um, a more specific, um, in a more specific way than just easily chatting with a group of people. Yes, I agree for sure. So moving to kids now, so you did write that depression keeps parents from connecting with their children, regardless of how much they love them. And I can totally see that. And I'm wondering how much do you tell kids or what do you think is appropriate? I know it was funny. My 10 year old daughter, Eva saw me rereading your book last week. She said, didn't you already read that book? And I said, yeah, but I'm going to be interviewing her. So I'm just reading it through again. And she said, it says depression. Did she have depression? And so I kind of started answering her questions and I thought, okay, that question's all right. I'll answer it. And then the next one, yep, that's all right. And I thought I'll just kind of keep going until I feel maybe it's more than she needs to know. So we were talking about you as if you were just, you know, a friend of the family. And she was asking, oh, did she take medicine or what did she do? And whatever. Because I thought these conversations are important, but I'm wondering, especially when it's you and you're the mom with your kids, how much do you think is important to tell children about it? Um, a parenting expert I heard, uh, I love her, Alison Schaefer. She said, if they're old enough to ask the question, yes. they're probably old enough to hear the answer. And so I, I try not to be like, Hey, here's my book and here's everything about it. But if they, when they do ask, um, I try and answer as honestly as I can. I'm very conscious and, and even self-conscious about, uh Oh, you know, if I open up to them about what I went through, does that make them more likely to, to go through it? But my hope is they'll see that I went through it, that I recovered from it and it would make them more prepared, hopefully down the road, if they ever felt uh, symptoms like Mm -hmm. that come up. But for example, um, my daughter was in the room when I first started this podcast with you. And uh, I, I motioned for her like, go downstairs, go downstairs. Because you, you don't need to know everything about your parents, just like you don't really want to picture your parents conceiving you. Um, even though we all know it happened. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, there's many things that I think they don't really need to know those specifics, but um, they did live through it. They did, you know, my son is the one who made the scream chart that's on my fridge that um, where I got an X every time I lost my temper during those two tough years. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm open with them about that. And even new subjects that come up like pot is now legal here in Canada. And, um, even figuring out how to broach that topic with them. I try to always do it with, with empathy, um, without judgment and saying, this is my experience you may have a different experience with it. I don't know. And it's very scary to yeah. <laughs> to speak so liberally to them. But um, I, I do genuinely believe that that's the parenting style that I have the most confidence in is to be real and uh, to be compassionate and, and without judgment. Mm-hmm. I know you gave some excellent tips for for things that worked for you um, with your mental health struggle. And I just want to talk about one of them because I really love it. Chase helpful, not special. So can you talk about what you mean by that? Yes. So I sort of feel like uh, 
I don't know, I guess this is, I don't know whether this was nature or nurture, but there was a part of me that when I got into acting and I started getting laughs, it made me feel so special. And then when I was chosen for five TV series in a row, five years back to back, that made me feel incredibly special. And then when this series stopped magically popping out of thin air, um, I felt unspecial and it was a, a terrible feeling. And then as my career would have highs and lows, I'd go back and forth between feeling useful and wonderful and then thinking, oh, if I'm not in demand, it means I've, I've lost my it factor and I'm no longer special. And, and so I was listening to Eckhart Tolle one day and uh, in a nutshell, he was saying to, to chase being helpful and to, to never go looking for special because special is fleeting, but help helpful is actually putting positive things into the world and then feeling rewarded because, because you've made a difference for someone. And so, uh, a few years ago when I recovered from depression, um, I, I didn't think this was the right career for me. I didn't think comedy was right for me because I, I got my heart broken so regularly. And I realized I worked with my therapist to find out how can I make it work for me. And it was a big part of it was by having more structure, but then also tying my self-esteem to something bigger than whether or not I get hired. And so it was, um, that's mm -hmm. when I decided I wanted to talk about mental health in my career. And, and I wanted to make people laugh for the joy of making them laugh, not so that I could say I sold so many tickets or I was hired for this TV series. So now it's about something much deeper and it's terrific. It's terrific to not feel like everything is at stake based on other people's um, perception of me or how needed I am in the world, but to instead feel like I feel good because I put myself out there every day and I try and make the world a better place. I love that. That's so great. So I have to ask, you've played so many awesome characters in your shows and, and specials over the years. So Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, Celine Dion. I'm just wondering, is there a fan favorite? Is there a character that people approach you and, you know, ask you to do that character? <laughs> they mention it to you. Is there one that seems yeah, to stand out uh, for people? I, I felt a lot of pressure to start doing impressions of newer, younger people. So I, and now I do Nicki Minaj and people like that, but, um, I, I got hired for a show a couple of months ago and the people told me, you know, it's a very young crowd. They're all in their twenties. So make sure you just do, uh, impressions of the younger folks. So I got on stage and I was doing that, but then someone in the audience screamed, do Liza Minnelli. So I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I did Liza Minnelli and all the 20 year olds <laughs> laughed. And even if they didn't know who she was, they thought it was hilarious that there's this, you know, maybe <laughs> a slightly high screechy lady on stage. And, uh, even yesterday I was on a conference call with a client who said, can you start the show as Liza Minnelli? And so that thrills me because she was one of the, she's someone that I grew up watching and listening to and, um, so it's fabulous to just drop into that character again. It's a really good, familiar feeling. So maybe she's not my most requested, but. And then everybody wants a bit of Celine Dion, but I understand that because I'm the greatest singer in the world. So I, I do, I do love the characters. <laughs> yes, for sure. And you're excellent at them. So the last thing I want to ask you before you go completely off topic, because I ask all of my guests, do you have a little favorite thing or this mom loves or anything that you could recommend to listeners today? This mom loves Brene Brown and I got her 
audiobook on shame and vulnerability recently, and I listen to it for the first five minutes of my jog every day, and it just kind of sets the tone for the day. It reminds me that none of us is immune to pain and uh, reminds me to have empathy for others and also to just love myself, forgive myself and love myself. So it's a beautiful way to start the day. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I will be sure to have a link for people who want more information or to purchase Depression the Comedy and links to all of Jessica's social media accounts on the show notes at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts. And this is episode six. So everybody can get all caught up on Jessica Holmes. Thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. My total pleasure, Kate. Thank you so much. And that's it for episode six of This Mom Loves. Of course, I will have links in the show notes to all of Jessica Holmes' information for um, about her book or if you want to follow her on social media. Also links to anything else that I spoke about earlier in the show. And you can find that information at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts and click on episode six. I would love, if you are a fan of the podcast, if you could subscribe, if you could rate it or review it wherever you listen to podcasts. People always think, I'm just one person who cares about my little rating, but every rating adds up and it can be really important for a small podcaster such as myself. So I really, really do appreciate if you take a moment to do that. And you're not going to want to miss the next episode of This Mom Loves. It's going to be a very special episode on resilience. And I'm bringing on a friend of mine who has been through uh, more struggles than you could even imagine to share her personal story, as well as all sorts of tips for getting through trials and for people who want to support others who are going through uh, a range of different difficult things. So stay tuned for that in episode seven. And thank you for listening. 